Welcome to the Thrive Church weekly message. We hope that you enjoy this podcast from Pastor Jared Van Burkle, and we hope that it blesses you. For any more information on this sermon or any additional resources, visit us at thrivechurch.co.nz. Oh, so good. I've been, um, I've been hanging out a whole lot in our kids' programs, and I was chatting with our kids' leaders the other day, going, do you guys suffer from the same thing that I suffer from? And they're like, what is that? I'm like, I just, the, the more I'm in kids' programs, the shorter and shorter my attention span gets. When I go back into the main room, I don't know if I'm going to be able to last a whole service without something hilarious happening. So, oh my gosh, it's, it's so much fun. I'm really excited to be speaking here uh, this morning. I've got a word this morning, but uh, who heard Kevin Forlong on Sunday last week? Yeah, he had a line that he said, you know, when any time a preacher gets up, they always have something they want to say before they preach. So I felt like they gave me permission to preach two messages this morning, uh, which is really, really good. And uh, if you were at Team Thrive, oh man, that was, oh, so impacted by that. He laid a challenge out to us to you know, believing for a specific number of people that we want to see experiencing the salvation of Jesus Christ across the life of our church family every week, whether it's in a service or whether it's somebody on the street corner. You know, they're saying in Planet Shakers they have nearly 300, nearly 300 people um, every week meeting Jesus and giving their lives to Jesus, nearly 300, which if we were doing that, it wouldn't take that long for the entire of North Canterbury to be totally saved. Well, it'd be pretty awesome, so let's just go for that. But we're competitive, so we want to do it, you know, 301. Just let's beat Planet Shakers. Uh, I, want to, I want to chat on, on a few things this morning. Uh, the title of my word today is called A Life Poured Out. A Life Poured Out. And if you're a note taker, this is a good one to take notes on because you'll need to to try and keep up with where I'm going because it's kind of like a little bit like a braided river. We are going somewhere, but it's a little bit around about the way to get there. I've been having a lot of fun uh, overseeing our children's ministry. And, you know, on an average Sunday here at Thrive, we have around about 100 children out in kids' programs, which is pretty amazing, really. And I was sitting down with our, with our kids' leaders at Team Thrive and going, you know, what would happen if, you know, we have, on average, 100 kids on a Sunday which means I think we've got around about 150, 170 children that call Thrive their church family. What would happen if our kids that we're sowing seeds into begin to get a revelation that they actually, their purpose in life isn't to absorb seeds? Because people would say, you know, in kids' ministry, it's great, you, you're sowing seeds that's going to change their life in the future. What if they were realizing that, you know, ministry isn't just about sowing seeds into children, but it's teaching children to be harvesters and going in and sowing seeds and bringing seeds in themselves. You know, we're not, we're not looking at having these, these wee kids who are just like sloshed around. They've got so many seeds in them, they look like a bag of seeds. You know, but we're actually raising harvesters or revivalists who are going to go out into their schools and see the kingdom of God come. And uh, so I just recently went to Israel and I had a whole lot of fun there. And I was, it was interesting going because I got a message from Blair just before I went. And normally when I go on a trip, I have a few different words or expectations of what God is going to do. But this time I had nothing. I had no idea what God was going to do. And then I got a text from Blair. And he said, hey, God's really going to speak to you while you're away. And I was like, oh, that's cool. I'd like you to narrow it down because, you know, I just... <laughs> 
So I message back, oh, call Blair. What is he going to speak to me about? And then Blair texts back going, oh, okay, let me get back to you. Mitchell, can you throw me that water bottle, bro? Oh, that's a tiny throw. And so he said, oh, God's really going to speak to you about kids while you're away. He's going he's gonna to reveal to you what loving kids and what that looks like. You're gonna, you, he's going to speak to you on this. And so I was over there in Israel and I was having a whole lot of fun going on adventures, you know, just singlets every day because it was beautiful 30 degrees. Like, oh my gosh, so much fun. Seeing where David killed Goliath and, and all those things that you need to do as a man. And then on one of the last days, I'm having breakfast with this lady and she'd be in her 50s or 60s. I didn't ask because it didn't seem polite. And she was telling me that when she was eight years old, she used to run revival meetings in her primary school. And as she began talking, I could feel the presence of God begin to stir inside me. And it was kind of like butterflies on steroids began rushing through my body. And I went, this is it. This is the moment that Blair Harris prophesy would happen. Shout out, Blair, you're the man. Okay, and so I'm like, well, how did this happen? And she said, well, when I was eight, somebody bought me a finger puppet set. And they taught me how to use finger puppets to tell people how God sent His one and only Son to die on a cross for the sins of the world, to come back to life again, and whoever would believe in Him wouldn't perish, but would have everlasting life. And if that's the first time you've heard that this morning, you're going to need an opportunity at the end of the service to respond to that amazing news that you can just, you can have a living relationship with the Son of God. You can be a son or a daughter of God. He can be your dad, not like your dad, your actual dad, and you can live a life of hope, peace, and freedom that goes on for eternity. And so she, what she said is, what I would do is I would walk around my primary school and I would find the kids that didn't have any friends or that got bullied or were just sitting by themselves, and I'd go, hey, come with me. And I would look all around my primary school and I would gather this group of kids and then we would sit down at the playground and I would get my finger puppets out and I would tell them the story of salvation. And then I'd say, who wants to give their life to Jesus? Bow your heads, raise your hand. And I would lead all these kids to Jesus. And then she told me about a guy who is pastoring in Levin. He's on tour at the moment. I just went to meet him on Thursday night. He's got a vision to see one million children in New Zealand receive the gospel of Jesus. I was like, one million. And, you know, and it's an old statistic, but it's still true that, you know, kids are so receptive to the gospel. I began looking at, you know, the vision of 10,000. I was like, oh, let's get 10,000 kids. You know, this pastor was talking about the fact that he, he was running his church and the kids' ministry was dying. And God pressed on his heart that the children to him was so important that what he did is he took some young people, trained them as preachers, and when he got time to preach, he would hand the church over to the youth and he would take the kids out and he would run the kids' program. They had two children in their church. And he said, that it was more important to reach the youngest generation than to keep ministering with who I had. Within a term, they had 60 kids and all these families added to the church because like God's moving, bringing kids into salvation. And so I share that with you this morning because I just want you to know as, as we're leaning into the 10,000, as we're believing for souls, that every single soul in our community is incredibly precious to God, whether they're eight years old or 88. And if you're, if you're coming to church at the moment and you feel like you're kind of just maybe warming the pew a little bit and you'd like to be a little bit more active, but you're not sure where to start, 
Man, if, come chat with me and I'll, I'll train you, teach you, resource you, power you up with the presence of God, set you loose in a children's ministry and your time is gonna have a level of significance that you haven't experienced before. If you're doing nothing, I've got a great place for you to start and you'll do something of eternal significance or it should be good. Turn to your neighbor and say, we should join kids ministry. Or music, or house, or yeah, 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 yeah. I know how it goes. But there I was, I was in Israel, having a whole lot of fun, seeing all the cool places that Jesus went, and that was pretty cool. But then I got to see some of the places that actual, just regular human beings went. Not just fully human and fully God, guys who were just fully human, full stop. And I stood on Mount Nebo where Moses went and after leading the people out of slavery and he could see the promised land. And I stood there and I looked out across Jordan and all this desert and, and Israel in the background. And I thought, man, this guy was real. Like he was real. He was an actual human being just like me. And he led millions of people into freedom. And then I went and I, and I explored through Hezekiah's tunnel, which is a tunnel nearly 4,000 years old that he built to help strategize a way of saving his kingdom. And an angel of God turned up and didn't even need the tunnel anyway and fought on his behalf because he was so righteous. And I was like, man, this, this is a man who, who saved a nation because of his righteous, fervent dedication to God. And then I went past where David ran to face Goliath and, and he changed the course of history. And I was like, man, this is somebody who was younger than me, but set a nation free from oppression. And I began to look at these people of people who were just everyday human beings, but went, you know what? I want to pour my life out 100% for the cause of God. Every, every ounce of energy that I have, I want to live my life. I want to worship God. I want to seek Him and serve Him with all of my strength, all of my mind, all of my soul, and all of my spirit. Oh, my life is going to be poured out as a continual, daily, living sacrifice. So as we look at our community, and as we look to see the, the first target of 10,000, because God is a God of so much more. That's the vision of the moment. But you've got to know when we get to 10,000 and we go, woo, that's cool. God's not going to be like, sweet, now we can retire. <laughs> you know? He's like, well, that was the first one. You probably try and say, you're going to get to around about 1,000 or 2,000, generally the way that God works. And, and you're going to hear Glenn go, I was at a conference and I fell down and I saw 25,000. And God was saying, this is your tribe. <laughs> that's the way God works. You know, our life, our life poured out. And see, this is, this is what I believe. All of us are already pouring our life out. It's not a matter of, do I want to pour my life out for God or, or do I just want to like keep my life? Every single day that goes past is a day that's been poured out. It's not something that you can actually get back. So the, the question is not, do I want to have my life poured out? The question is, what am I pouring my life into at the moment? Is what I pour in my life into, does it have eternal significance? Does it have an everlasting meaning? Does it have uh, legacy and heritage woven throughout it? Or is it just something that's like a vapor? One moment it's there and, and then it's gone. I ended up um, in, a, in a spa pool um, in my hotel in Israel because I'm trying to do most of my life in a spa pool if I can. And I was sitting there with my new friend whose name was also Jared. And uh, 
it was his very similar personality to me. We spent most of the time at the back of the bus and the rest of the bus was just trying to like tune the noise out. And so we're sitting there in the spa and then the other entirety of the spa got filled with this massive Orthodox Jew. He was huge. And I was like, this is the beast of man. So he, like, you know, the, he hops in the water's like, whoa, like this. And so I start chatting to him and his name, no, no, no lie, his name was Mr. Goldstein. So I'm there with Mr. Goldstein, who's like this, he's sitting there and he's a fish importer and his father was a successful rabbi. And so I'm chatting with him and we're, we're talking about different things. And then I ask him, hey, tell me, help me understand from your perspective, talk to me about um, giving. Talk to me about generosity from an Orthodox Jew point of view. Tell me about it. And so he asked me a question, which I instantly knew was a trick question because Jews like to show their knowledge by asking hard questions. And so he said, let me ask you a question. You've got $100, you give $10 away to charity, and you keep 90. How much money do you have? And I'm trying to figure out the way to answer this so I can show him how clever I am. I got a little bit close. And he said, well, the answer is if you give away $10 and you keep 90, you've got $10 left. Because the 90 that you kept for yourself, you spend on your bills, you spend on your clothes, you spend on entertainment, you spend on food, it's gone. But the 90 that you gave away, sorry, the 10 that you gave away now has eternal value attached to it. That lasts forever. The 90 you kept, you lose. The 10 you gave away has got eternal value. That what you pour out from your life, you get to keep that what you hold on to you lose. Jesus said this, and, and I love the way that Jesus talks because he's so loving, but then you, when you read it in text, black and white, he's so brutal. This is in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Then he said to them, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? See, Jesus, Jesus has got this incredible understanding that our life is already being poured out. But the only way for our life to have eternal value for eternal significance is to give it to the one who has eternal value and eternal significance. The only way to, to do that is to go, God, I... My, my, my energy is yours. My finances is yours. My soul is yours. My relationships are yours. God, whatever you ask from me, it, I want to give you. It's not going, oh, how do I get through life? How do I get through church? How do I get through my career? How do I get through things with trying to keep as much control as I can and trying to micromanage my life to, to fit the way that I want it to be? It's the total opposite mindset of going, God, what else do I have that I could give you right now? What, what other elements of my time could I sacrifice for you? What, what from my finances, God, would, would you like back right now? What, what of me could I possibly give you that could be a sacrifice? Everything that I already have is yours, God, but what do I have that you would like back right now? I, I, love, this, I love this story of... Um, in the Bible of King David. And David's hiding out in these caves in, in the stronghold called Agilum. And these caves are huge. They can host 200 to 300 men in, in any one of these caverns. And this place has just got all these caverns and it's a stronghold. And he's up in this desertous area and he's looking across 
at Bethlehem, his hometown. And it's been overrun by the Philistines. So he's there with his men looking at his childhood home that has now been overrun by the Philistines. And by the gate of his city is the wellspring, the well of Bethlehem. And he's looking at it and he's looking at his enemies in his own town, thinking to himself, man, this shouldn't be like this. What are those Philistines doing in my town drinking my water? They've got all my stuff. And here I am hiding out in a cave and he's just being flippant and says, man, what would I give for someone to bring me a drink of water from my old well? And three of his mighty men hear it and they begin sprinting off towards the enemy. And David and his men would be out in their caves watching and being like, wait, what are they doing? It's really hot. Why are they having a running race? And other guys are going, I think, I think they've deserted. Maybe they're joining the Philistines. I don't know. They wouldn't do that. Maybe they have done that. And the Philistines are watching these three guys and they're like, check it out. These three guys are coming over to join us. This is going to be pretty cool. Look at them. They've got shiny swords. And they've got kind of an angry glint in their eye. They're screaming. Oh no, this is going to be different. And these three guys, what it says, they, they reach the enemy line and they fight their way through and they break through the front line of soldiers. And they battle their way to the well, momentarily capture the well as fast as they can, draw out some water and then sprint back to the cave as fast as they can. And the king is, David is watching, just like, you guys are insane. What were you doing? What is, what was this? I didn't sound the, the charge. We, we haven't strategized yet. What were you thinking? And they go, David, we heard you. You wanted water from the well. And, and they give it to him. And this is what David says. He holds it. He says, God, far be it for me to drink this. Is this not the very blood and lives of the three men who risked it? And, and he poured it out as a sacrifice before God. See, David knew. He goes, oh, I'm not. You risked your, like you poured yourself out. This is, your, this is the very essence of your life. I'm just a guy. I'm, I'm not worth you pouring your life out for. There's only one thing in this entire reality that is worth to pour yourself out for. There's only one thing that has eternal significance and that's the King of Kings. I can't accept this God. I, I will do nothing other than pour my life out for you. I'm not worthy of other people pouring their life out for me. You're the only thing worth being poured out for. And he pours it out. And I reckon the three guys are like, Oh, you're a pain, David. <laughs> I'm going back to my cave, man. I'm like, it's not in my notes. This morning I'm going to get ready for church and Ruby, she's a bit sick. She's at home and um, she's got all these pillows and she's kind of under them like this. And she's like, Dad, do you like my rock home? And I was like, what? She goes, do you like my rock home? I was like, it's called a cave. She goes, no, nah, it's called a rock home. They went to their rock home and they hung out there for a while. See, God, see, He's the only thing worth pouring our life out for. He's the only thing. There's nothing else that's going to give significance. And this is what I find confusing. Is when we become Christians and we go, God, you're the Lord and Savior of my life. I'm going to follow you all the days of my life. You're my King of Kings. You're my Lord of Lords. And then we have this odd struggle of trying to live our life the way we want to live it. And every time He wants something from us, we go, God, you're always wanting stuff from me. 
being a Christian and then trying to live life for yourself is like buying a gym membership and never going. That's what it is. It's exactly what it is. I, I, God, I give you my life, but I don't want to do anything of the stuff that you tell me to do. I've got my membership to the gym. Anytime I want to go, I can go. Anytime I want to feel amazing, I can do it. Anytime I want to have the endorphins rush, I can do it. But physically, I'm, I'm not actually going to change because I'm, I'm not going to sweat. I'm not going to lift. I'm not going to do that cardio stuff. Gross. I'm not going to do that. I brought three T-shirts to church this morning. I sweat a lot. I have a stash of them in my office. This is my second one already. Should have brought four, I know. Well, you know, Lynn, if we get really desperate, I've got a singlet in there as well. But here's the thing. I want to encourage you with this. All growth is growth. All progress is progress. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. My thought for us today is going, God, all that I am is yours. But I know that you're my greatest teacher, you're my greatest encourager, you're my greatest coach, you're my greatest cheerleader. Just speak to me today. What from me today do you want poured out? You don't have to try and wrestle through the, the weight of the cosmos and go do all these things because there might be things that you start pouring out and the God's like, it wasn't the timing for that. Don't let this be a weight or heaviness upon you, but be excited about the fact that when you pour yourself out, He's pouring Himself in. You know, if you want to have a life that's got significance and meaning and fulfillment, you're postured pouring out and He's postured pouring in. I had, I had communion over where they, where they reckon Jesus got crucified. And as I was having this communion, I just, you know, visited where the crosses were and where I think the tomb was. And just in this moment, I had this picture begin to roll through my imagination. You know, imagination sanctified by Christ, most powerful nation there is. And, and I had this picture really clear of, of me and I was in a pond and I was drowning. And I looked out and there was Jesus and he was, my, he was my big brother standing on the shore. And he saw me drowning and he began sprinting into the water yelling, I'm going to save you. I'm going to save you. And this, this constant realization that no matter what God ever asks for us to give, it's so insignificant compared to what he did for us. You know, and when we lose sight of the intimacy, that's when we try to hold on to things. When we lose sight of the sacrifice, when we lose sight of what it was when we first experienced forgiveness and we had that weight of heaviness lifted off us, when we had healing or restoration, when we lose sight of the things that He's done for us, that's when we begin to live like this. But when we constantly remind ourselves and we train our minds to remember that everything we am, everything we am, sorry, mum, everything we have, it's because of who He is. And we, we hold our life going, God, oh, whatever you want, I'll just pour it out. I've, I've recently been, been practicing, and I, I say practicing because it, it felt awkward, calling God Dad. Now, I hear people call God Papa, and if you do that, that's fine. I've never called anybody Papa God, Papa, Papa this. I don't call anybody Papa. It seems weird to me. And so I would pray Daddy God, and that seemed okay, but it seemed like I was four years old. My son called me daddy the other day because he wanted something. I was like, man, he's seven. He hasn't called me daddy in ages. But 
I never called God dad because when I was young, I lost my dad. And whenever I was to pray God and call him dad, because my dad is in heaven with my heavenly father as well, I would get a picture of Nick, my dad, when I would pray. And it would distract me. And I'd say, God, it's really hard to call you dad and not picture my dad and then feel like my, my focus is shifting. And I felt God say, well, just don't worry about that. I'm okay with that. Let's just start. You're going to get used to this. And so I've started calling God dad. And, I, and we had our team thrive the other day. It was the first time I ever prayed out loud in front of people saying, dad. Why, why I find it interesting to call God dad is because it forces me to confront the truth that I'm his son. I can call God God and I can be a servant, I could be a slave, or I could even be a friend. But to call him dad or father, I can only be a son. And it forces me to elevate myself to the rightful standing that Jesus bought for me on the cross. And it causes the responsibility that goes with that privilege to rise with it. See, Jesus only ever went about his father's business. And I had this revelation the other day. It's like the word father and co. I always thought that Jesus went about his father's to-do list. But I was like, no, this was dad's company. My father's business, father and co with the co-laborers. And I've recently been praying, hey, big brother, can you teach me how to do my part of dad's business the way he likes his company to be run? Because my father has a business and his business is saving the world. That's his business. And, and, and he wants his sons and daughters to be a part of the family business that is saving the world. And that looks like us pouring our lives out. Going, God, whatever you ask from me, I'm going to give. Whatever you want me to surrender, it was already yours. God, I pour my life out for you. I don't have three points or anything like that. I just have an encouragement. The only thing that will bring life full meaning is when you realize that you're deeply loved by God and the natural response of that is to pour your life out at His feet. To experience His love and to hold on to your life will create an inner torment for you. It's, it's just highly dysfunctional. That relationship will grate. It'll, it'll, it'll be like living two lives within yourself. The only way to have full freedom is to fully surrender and go, God, you poured yourself out 100% for me. I pour myself out 100% for you. I'm called to be a Christian. I'm called to be Christ-like. I'm called to lay my life at the feet of the cross, pick up my cross and walk with it daily. If I hold on to my life, it's a true statement. I'll lose it. If I try to keep it, it'll slip through my fingers. But if I pour it out at your feet, I'm truly going to live. I surrender control of myself. And I, and I ask you, lead my life and lead every element of it. I'd just like everybody just to close your eyes if you could. First thing I want to do is I want to give an invitation to anybody here who doesn't know Jesus. And what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Everyone's going to have their eyes closed. 
And then I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm not going to call you up to the front. Everyone will keep their eyes closed, but I've got an amazing helper at the back. She's going to have her eyes open so that she can find you after the service and say, hey, would you like prayer? I'd love to give you a Bible. I'd love to connect you in with someone that can help you in your relationship. And so it's just for them to be able to see where you are. No one else is looking. So if you're here this morning and you go, you know what? I've been, I've been living my life for myself. You, you might have experienced that love of God or you might be the first time you've ever heard about it, but you know, I need to have my life fully surrendered. I need to lay my life down at Jesus' feet and go, Jesus, you died for me. You rose from the dead for me. There's nothing else in my life that would give me freedom, that would give me meaning. And then to say, Jesus, I am yours today and for every other moment of the rest of my life. You are the King of kings and Lord of lords and I lay my life at my, your feet. You're my big brother, Father God. You're my dad. You will give me significance. You will give me freedom. And in return, I will give you every ounce of every element of who I am. Every piece of dysfunction, every piece of brokenness, you look through it all and you say, I'm perfect and wholly made in your sight, blameless. If that's you this morning and you want to step into that, I just want to ask you right now, would you just raise your hand while everyone has their eyes closed? For any more information on this sermon or any additional resources, visit us at thrivechurch.co.nz.